Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll introduce our new uh, topic and uh, get started on today's lesson. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful that uh, you are a God that is uh, so simple yet so complex that a child can understand your love, yet it will take eternity to continue to understand you and always know more about you day after day. Lord, we uh, pray for wisdom today as we think on your Holy Spirit. We pray uh, for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us as we go into the service today, and especially as we commune with the Holy Spirit uh, today as we take your table. Lord, we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, we had kind of a, uh, a long series over who is God. We started out with trying to grasp the uh, Trinity on some level. And then we talked about the Father, and then we talked about the Son, and today and for the next uh, couple months, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, you, uh, you have your schedule there. On January 12th, uh, next week, we're going to talk about how is it that we know that the Holy Spirit is God and not um, a part of God or an aspect of God, but is God. Uh, the week after that, we're going to talk about uh, how we know that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, not a, uh, a power, but a person. Um, then after that, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. I think that's important because it speaks to his character. Um, although he might be, uh, have a different ministry now, that doesn't mean that it negates who he is. So there's an aspect of how he worked in the Old Testament that tells us about who he is now. Then we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's work in the New Testament. What's going on? Uh, in the New uh, Covenant. And then we're going to talk about his work uh, in our holiness. Does that make sense? So how is it that God makes us holy? When he says, be holy for I am holy. Uh, this is a work of the, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that'll be exciting. Um, because there's a controversy there and Controversy's fun. And so uh, then the last thing we're going to do um, is we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and what that means in our spiritual warfare today. Right. So that's how it's going to be laid out. Uh, now there's a reason why um, not a lot of people talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, it's because I think there is a lack of uh, being able to identify with the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> with the Father and the Son, we understand fatherhood, we understand sonship. We have good examples of that in, um, in our daily lives. We've lived it. 
And so when we talk about a father, it's easy to understand a father. When we talk about the son, it's easy, to, it's easy to understand a son. But no one really knows what to do with the spirit. Um, because uh, the only aspect we kind of can understand about that is that we have a spirit. Um, but if you really press someone to understand what that means, that you have a spirit... Uh, people kind of get fuzzy because it's hard to really understand what that means. You ask someone what it means to have a body and people can go on and on and on, right? Because we can see our bodies, we uh, feel the problems of our bodies, right? Uh, so we even have science, right? We have all these things, but how do we understand our spirit? It's a lot more difficult, so then when we apply that to the Holy Spirit, things get very difficult to understand. Uh, we've had groups that have tried to overemphasize, well, let me not overemphasize, how do I put this? Uh, we've had groups that have attempted to make the Holy Spirit something uh, that's... Um, isn't necessarily true, but it made the Holy Spirit more relatable. And so then uh, those groups have uh, made us misunderstand the Holy Spirit. Um, Luther put it this way, that the Holy Spirit is the power of illumination. So a good way to understand this... Uh, a professor of mine in seminary put it this way. If you go to a football game, uh, maybe an NFL game or something like that, and it's at night, if the lights don't work, uh, what happens? What is everyone talking about the next day? How dark it was. Yeah, how dark it was, and... Couldn't play the game because the lights wouldn't come on. Everyone's talking about the lights because the lights didn't come on. You can't see it. They probably had to cancel it over the whole thing. And so that's what everyone's talking about. But what happens when the lights do work at a football game? Is anyone talking about how well the game was illuminated? <laughs> no, no one talks. They, they assume it. Because they're seeing the game. But the only way they're able to see the game, or the only way the game can even take place, is through the power of that illumination. And so even though people aren't talking about the game, the power that made the game possible is there. And that's how Luther saw the Holy Spirit. That he makes our understanding possible in Scripture... And our understanding possible of God. Um, and so, because of these things, the Holy Spirit is often ignored. Because people are afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, so today, we're going to begin a, just an introduction. I'm going to address three questions that might just introduce us to the Holy Spirit to prepare us for the next few weeks. And the first question is, first of all, what does the name Holy Spirit even mean? Uh, then who is the Holy Spirit? And then why does it matter?
those three questions just to introduce us. Very cursory introduction. So if we want to turn uh, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Um, when it comes to God in his oneness, uh, we are introduced to God in his oneness in the very first verse of the entire Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how your Bible starts out. This is God in his oneness. This is a general statement because we know God in his threeness, the three persons, all participated in that creation. And it goes on to say, the earth was formless and void. Tohu and bohu. I don't know why I remembered that, but I figured if you remember a couple of Hebrew words, you better say it so people think you know. All right. Uh, formless and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, of all the persons, of the three persons of the Trinity, who do you think is mentioned first? You would think it might be the Father or the Son. Instead, it's the Spirit. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, that's interesting. Um, we would expect, being good uh, Trinity uh, believers, that maybe the Father would be mentioned first. Uh, or maybe the Son and there are ways in which the Father and Son is even uh, referred to in the Old Testament. We've talked about that. Um, but instead, we hear the Spirit of God was hovering over. So there is this sense in which the Spirit is hovering. It's doing something that is distinct from the other persons of the Trinity. It's hovering. The Son is not hovering. The Father is not hovering. There is an activity. It's a verb. So, uh, for those of you fortunate enough to go back to school tomorrow, probably in your English class, um, does UCA have English class? They're not like... I don't know if the classical style is so classical they don't even have English anymore. Well, we get a lot of Aha, uh-huh. I knew they would, they would do something different. Okay, so in literature class, they might still remind you to understand things. You still need to know what the subject and verb is. And so the subject is spirit. And the verb is was hovering. Was is your helping verb. Hovering is your action verb. And so we see that there is something distinct happening here with this particular person. Okay? And so what does this mean? What word in Hebrew is being used for spirit? Um, I have it written there on your handout in Genesis 1-2. Ruach. Uh, it's fun uh, in Hebrew. It's kind of fun because you get to use your guttural sounds. Ugh. It's kind of fun. Uh, so if you're ever going to learn Hebrew, you've got to exercise your throat a little bit there. The Ruach of God. And what does that mean? 
Well, we've interpreted it spirit. Um, but it has the idea of breath or spirit. Breath or spirit. And that's the kind of uh, interpretation that we're trying to grasp here. You understand that interpretation is tricky. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to grasp a word in another language that has, um, that has several connotations at once. Okay. Uh, English words, um, if you ever study uh, Shakespeare, which I'm sure GCA makes you do, uh, Shakespeare is a little wordy. I don't know if you've noticed that or had the joy of going to a Shakespeare play. And they talk a lot. They seem to have to say a lot just to say a, you know, a very simple thing. Um, and that's poetry, and it's wonderful, and it's literature, blah, blah, blah. But uh, in English, it takes a lot of words to describe a one, one thing, because in our language, very few words have several meanings at once. Uh, Hebrew has several meanings at once. It's not saying, well, it could mean this, or it could mean this. It depends on the connotation, things like that. And sometimes that's true. But a lot of times in Hebrew, you're saying many things with one word. And this is the case with ruach. The idea that the spirit of God, or the breath of God, or what we'll find out as we move here, um, another word. Breath denotes not merely that which is unseen, but most importantly. So we think of breath and spirit as, well, we use those words because something's there, but you can't see it. Right? And we understand breath as something that you can't see. Right? But you know it's there. And we kind of have that idea for spirit. That's kind of how we understand something that's there, but we can't see it. But that's not the main idea here. It has become the main idea for Americans because uh, we're kind of mystical people. And we think of, uh, well, I know something's there, but you can't see it. And that's, how, that's why we call the Holy Spirit a spirit. Because we can't see him. But that's not the main meaning here. It has that idea, but the main idea is this. Breath denotes not merely that which is unseen, but most importantly, the presence of power. What one theologian called the power presence of God. The power presence of God. Um, because if we think that the, the Holy Spirit just means, when we say Holy Spirit or spirit or breath... That just means that we can't see him, but he's there. That would hold for the Father, too, right? Uh, the Father you cannot see. The only way you can ever see the Father is through the Son, right? Who is embodied so that we can see him in the flesh. And the Son, before he became before he put on flesh, was just as unseen as the rest of the other three, or other two, I'm sorry. So, 
When we come right down to it, if the main meaning, the main meaning we're trying to get out of the Spirit isn't that simply that He's unseen, but that there is power there. It's the power presence of God. In Micah 3, 7, and 8, I want to read that quickly for you. Micah 3, 7, and 8. The idea here, um, maybe start in verse 5 so people understand. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who led my people astray. So the Lord is speaking of the false prophets. Uh, When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. But against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. Therefore it will be night for you without vision. And darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets, and the day will become dark over them. The seers will be ashamed, and the diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will all cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. On the other hand, I am filled with power. Then there's this little phrase to qualify what he means by being filled with power. This phrase is, with the Spirit of the Lord. So, on the other hand, I am filled with power. And what I mean by power is the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. So he is making a contrast here. He is showing that the false prophets depended on things people can see, things people could relate to visually, and that they were trying to manipulate people to believe something that wasn't true, but the real power was in the Holy Spirit. So the Lord was going to punish them by not letting them have any information from the Lord. I will put them in the dark, and all those prophets will be ashamed. The real power is the Holy Spirit. So in your, in your box there, the false, uh, the false show of the world and the, um, and the power of the Spirit are the things being... Uh, Contrasted there. There's a contrast between the false show of the world and the power of the Spirit. So, the main idea that I want us to get across, uh, I want you to understand today, is what we mean by Spirit is this idea of power, breath. Uh, let me put it this way. Maybe this will be a good uh, way of thinking about it. Uh, when you hear someone speak to you, Isn't it true you're trying to understand the words that uh, you hear and you start uh, thinking about, right? And those words can have power in that you begin to understand them and they might change the way you think. But how did those words get to your head, even on a physical level? Uh, Your head is filled with holes and information goes in those holes, right? Your ears are holes. Your pupils are technically holes, your nose are holes, and information flows into those holes. So 
So how does how do words get to your ears? Well, it all starts with breath. Without breath, there's no power. Right? Your diaphragm pulls down and pushes that air past the vibration of your vocal cords. If your vocal cords vibrate but there is no air, then there's no power. Uh, that air goes by your articulators, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips, right? And those articulators manipulate the air, but without the air, there is no power. And the way air works is that sound is the compression of air in different patterns that fill this room and enter into those holes in the sides of your head. But without breath, there is no power of words. I think that's an important way to think about it because who was the word? Christ, right? And when Christ was on earth, who did he rely on for his power? Holy Spirit. He did not rely on his own divine power. He relied on the power of the Holy Spirit the entire time. So it's an interesting uh, relationship that we can make even through how we hear words uh, in our daily uh, in our daily understanding. So, um, so what does Holy Spirit mean? If Spirit is that power presence of God, then what does Holy mean? If we look at Isaiah, you notice I'm, for the most part, sticking in the Old Testament here. I'm doing that on purpose. So I want us to understand that the Holy Spirit didn't start in the New Testament. Sometimes we think that. Um, so this is Isaiah's vision. And he looks at, uh, in his vision, he tells us uh, it took place the year of Uzziah's death. Um, the Lord, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filling with smoke, then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So what we see here is this holiness is contrasted with something that's unclean. Something that is so pure that when something that is impure is near it, it the, the unpure thing feels destroyed. Does that make sense? So holiness of God, in your blanks there, is otherness. Or this idea of being set apart. And in this 
idea. Holiness denotes not merely otherness, but a burning purity. A burning purity. Um, Oftentimes in scripture, uh, being pure is talked about in the sense of being burnt. In fact, Isaiah's vision continues where he takes a coal, or a, a, I'm sorry, a, a, an angel takes coal and puts it to his lips and burns them for him to be pure. And this idea of burning for, to become pure, where the unclean is burnt away and the purity is left behind, this is the idea of holiness. Holiness is most devastating as it is contrasted with impurity. And so this pureness, um, all these things go into holy. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, the holy power presence of God, we are talking about this purity, uh, pure truth, pure justice, pure cleanness um, before God. And it, when it's contrasted with our impurity, we begin to understand what holiness is. And notice, what does Isaiah talk about? Um, he says that he is a man of unclean what? Lips. Lips. Isn't that interesting? That's the first thing he goes to. Um, and you think about this idea of what comes across our lips. I know I am humbled by it as well. Because I think about uh, why do uh, in, why does impurity come to our lips? It's what's in our heart. Yeah. Um, he's admitting something here, right? Something that I can admit to quite easily. Um, when you say things that as they're coming out of your mouth, you realize I shouldn't be saying that. Uh, we realize this is fruit, right? It's not just a mistake. Unclean lips are a result of the fruit, what's going on in our hearts which um, which when contrasted with the holiness of the power presence of God should humble us. Um, so if that's, if that's what his name means, then who is he? Um, oh, I had it on my phone. Um, the Nicene Creed. I tried to have it saved on my phone, and then I remembered that I shut that part down. Okay. Nicene Creed. It's coming. I want to read it to you. It's coming. Here it comes. Nicene Creed. And this is why we must always be prepared. Why won't, 
It's coming. Do you have it? I had it all ready on my phone, and I. Creating confessions app. Oh, that's a nice app to have. <laughs> we all should have that. <laughs> okay, so the Nicene Creed. It goes through the Trinity, right? I believe in one God. Okay. And then he talks about the pers- or then in the creed the persons are talked about. Uh, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Then it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, talked about in great detail. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. So I want us to understand that what the creeds are doing, creeds are usually reacting against a false belief, and in this case it's the false belief um, that... Uh, I believe there was this idea of modalism at that point, where God is one, and sometimes he puts his Father hat on, and sometimes he puts his his Jesus hat on, and sometimes his Holy Spirit hat. But this is getting away from that, saying, no, God is one and three. And these are what the three are. And it talks specifically about the Holy Spirit. Of course, all these are backed up by the entirety of Scripture. And that's what we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about. But just to give you a, a bird's eye view of all this. First it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord. Who is allowed to be called the Lord? God. God yes. This is in your, in your Old Testament. Um, you will see L-O-R-D capitalized. When you see that, it's a very specific name. It's not merely Elohim. Uh, Elohim is more of a generic uh, word for God. But when you see L-O-R-D all capitalized, we're talking Yahweh. This is the name God gave himself to Moses in Exodus. When Moses says, who shall I tell these people? Um, You are, and he says, I am. I am. (laughs) This is who I am. I am. And that's where we get the name Yahweh. And so it's saying that the Holy Spirit uh, gets this word. Because he is God. So in your first blank there, the Holy Spirit is God. This is important because when we hear the words, the Spirit of God, sometimes we think uh, that... God is more like a human who has a spirit, but other aspects as well. But we're not saying that. We're saying when we talk about the spirit, we're talking about God. In the same way when we're talking about Christ, we're talking about God. Just like when we're talking about the Father, we're talking about God. The one true God, that there is only one. All right. (laughs) Sometimes I look at your faces and I think, if 
you look a little confused, and if, if you do, that's good. That means you're understanding that this is difficult stuff. When I talk about the three persons who are the one God, if that seems strange, that's good. It is. Yes? Since it's the season, let's give props to St. Nick, who fought viciously for this, right? Yes. In fact, there's a legend that uh, he, there's this guy named Arius who did not believe that Jesus was God, but rather Jesus was created by God and then made divine in some way. Um, and there's a legend that St. Nick uh, gave him a roundhouse to the face uh, because he was so frustrated with that kind of an idea that you would say that out loud. It disgusted him to the point where he punched him. And, uh, and so, uh, but you know what's interesting? Uh, sometimes I think, I mean, people look back at, you know, those days, you know, where people were burnt for saying blasphemy. Uh, people look at Calvin um, as some horrible person who put, uh, what's his face, on trial. What was his name? Servetus. Servetus, yeah. Or he put Servetus on trial for committing blasphemy. And uh, Calvin was actually trying to be kind by asking for beheading, because it doesn't hurt as much as burning to death, but the state insisted on burning. Uh, And we look at that and we think, oh, that's just so barbaric. But think about how immune we've become to anyone mocking God. I think about that, because I get convicted over that. Does it upset me that when people mock God, um, to the point where even saying it out loud would make me consider having, seeing justice in their death. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's good to burn people, you know, for committing blasphemy. But what I am saying is there's a sense in which there was a sensitivity that we have definitely lost. <laughs> And uh, sometimes we hide behind the free speech thing and say, you know, they have a right, and, and I get all that, but sometimes it's pretty convenient to say that so we don't have to be so offended. Um, so, the Holy Spirit is God. And then as we keep reading, um, He is distinct from the Father and the Son. He proceedeth from the Father and the Son... Um, who, with the Father and the Son together, is worshipped and glorified. So now, is it right to glorify and worship the Spirit? Absolutely. Because He is God. And He is a person. The Father is a person, the Son is a person, And the Holy Spirit is distinct from those two persons who also is a person. So your next one there is, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. He is a person. And we know this because the proper pronoun for the Holy Spirit is a him. Not an it. Not a she. But a hymn. We're going to talk about that 
as we move along as well. The Holy Spirit is what? As we, as we read through this, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. He is the giver of life. And the one that spake by the prophets. This is power. <coughs> this is power. Speaking of the Holy Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit is the power. He is, a, he is God. He is a person. And he is the power that we see. That God uses when he deals with us. So what we're going to find out is that although Christ is the Word, the power uh, in that Word is the Holy Spirit um, to us. So how is it that you are able to have faith? Who is the one that brings faith to you? You don't get to... You don't even get credit for conjuring it up inside yourself or finding the Bible to be reasonable and therefore you believe. None of that's there. The only reason you have faith is it's a gift from the Spirit. Particularly from the Spirit. It is not a gift from the Father, particularly. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Father gives it, but the power of that gift... Does that make sense? The power of that gift is in the Spirit. That's why you are able to believe. That's why, that's why uh, Jesus says, wait for the disciples to receive the power from Yes, the comforter. You know, so there's that. Yes, that's right. And uh, when we get to uh, February 2nd, we're going to really uh, hammer in on what that is. What that means. Wasn't the Holy Spirit giving power before? So what does this mean? It's very exciting stuff. Um, good. So those three things are the things that are going to drive the entire study of who the Holy Spirit is. You're going to be constantly reminded that He is God. You'll be constantly reminded He is a person. And constantly reminded of His work. Which, is always, which always involves power. And why does it matter? With our last few moments together, Ezekiel 39, 29. Hey, we successfully stayed in the Old Testament the entire time. How about that? Ezekiel 39, 29 states this. I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. When God hides his face, right? Um, God in his oneness, if we believe it's God in his oneness speaking here about his face, that he will no longer hide from Israel, or we're talking about the Father saying this, Whatever you believe, whoever is the speaker here, what he is saying is, this is how I hide my face. I hold back my spirit from them. This is how I show my face. I give the power of the spirit. 
So when we hear the benediction that may his face shine upon you, we are talking about the power of the Holy Spirit shining down on you. That it's real power coming forward. It's not a good, it's not just, isn't it nice that, it's not like uh, your wife meeting you with a smile in the morning. It makes you feel good. That's not what we're talking about. That, the, that God is pleased with me and he smiles at me. It makes me feel good. When it says, my face shines upon you, it is talking about the power of the Holy Spirit working upon you. Because God has chosen to show his face to you. And that is an intimate connection. The Holy Spirit is going to be an intimate person that works in us so that we might know the, the Father better and understand the Son. And know his love. And actually cause us to love God back. There's power there. And that's the kind of things we're going to find out, and that's why it matters. Thank you. That's helpful. Good. I've had that conversation with my boys. Oh, excellent. Did not have the answer. <laughs> yes. I just, uh, there's several archaeologists and uh, biblical researchers that have done a lot of study on idolatry in the, in the Near Eastern world. And the passage in Isaiah 6 here is the passage where they bring the burning coals and puts it on Isaiah's lips. It's actually appropriated from pagan ceremonies. Anytime they, they would have workshops throughout the Near Eastern world where they would create idols. But it wasn't just the creation of the idol itself. They actually had a ceremony, they called it the filling ceremony, where they would do prayers and incantations, and every idol had a mouth on it, and they would ask the, they would ask the spirit, the God spirit, to come into the idol to fill it. In other words, they would, suddenly the object itself absorbed the spirit or the demon. Yeah. So here you have God who comes to Isaiah who says, I'm a man of unclean lips. It's God exposing himself to man. But he's bringing the hot coal and he's filling the man with the spirit of God. Hmm. So J.K. Beale's done a lot of uh, research on this with some other guys. Yeah. It's within the context of idolatry, Israel's idolatry. Right. So you can understand, you know, Christ talks about, you know, a nation being set apart yeah. for holiness. It's within the context of idolatry. Yeah. And you can see why the importance of the word Holy Spirit comes very strong upon that. Yeah. He fills. Yes. And Beale's a good guy to read about that, that's for sure. Thank you. All right. Well, good. We're, oh, yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to add to that is uh, we keep talking about the Holy Spirit being a person. Mm -hmm. And when, when you think of the Holy Spirit, you're not thinking of like a human being person in body form and stuff like that. So I looked up person uh, to, to understand what that defines. And it says it can be a being, mm -hmm. 
So it doesn't have to have physical form. Right. Um, but it, it needs to have a conscience, it needs to have morality, it needs to have these certain attributes and characteristics that define and shape what that person would be. Yeah. So that, that's kind of helpful in some ways because oftentimes I'm sitting there thinking, person, how, how does person and spirit kind of, how do they job? Because I know I'm a person. Yeah. And I'm far different than that of, of God. Yeah, and we also we also yeah when we often think of our bodies when we think of person, and uh, it goes much deeper than that. That's right. Good good point. And we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. We're going to start with his divinity, and then we'll move to his personhood. We'll definitely talk about that. What that means. That's good. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll uh, as we go through these, we'll uh, we'll have more time to uh, I'll make more time for us to be able to talk more. And uh, All right, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your greatness. We praise you for how you convict us, even just trying to know who you are. We become convicted of our sin. We pray for your help to us, especially as we come to your table, that we will purify our lips uh, as your Holy Spirit works on our heart. We pray for Uh, your help today as we do that and worship you well. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.